Because God is faithful. God is ever true. And He is as faithful to keep His promises of the judgment He threatens as He is to, to fulfill His other promises. God said, in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And God's word was fulfilled in a twofold sense that day. Adam and Eve died spiritually that day. They were separated from God. They lost their ability to interact with the spiritual world and enjoy fellowship with God. Their hearts were darkened. They were hardened. They lost their innocence. They were corrupted. They became selfish and self-centered. Before that sin, they had no knowledge of evil. Now they had an intimate knowledge of evil. It was in them and they were tainted by sin and evil dwelt within their hearts. And they also knew good in a, in a new way. This was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They knew that they had been separated from a holy and a good God because of their sin. They knew that they deserved God's judgment. And they died spiritually that day. And spiritual death, again, is separation from God. Also, physical death began that very day as well. Their bodies began the process of physical death, the, the process of decay that leads to death. They would die and their descendants would die. Now there's a, a link here between sin, Satan, and death. The serpent in the garden that tempted Eve, that was the devil. That was Satan. Revelation 12.9 makes that clear by the end of Scripture. Revelation 12.9 says, The great dragon was thrown down. That ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan the deceiver of the whole world, he was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. Again, in Revelation 20 and verse 2, he sees the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil and Satan and bound him for a thousand years. And so Satan is the tempter. He attempts to deceive man into sin. He tempted Eve to doubt God's goodness. He held forth something other than God and he said, this will fulfill you. This will satisfy. And so the devil tempts us to doubt God and His promises. And this temptation leads to sin. Sin is contrary to God. Sin is against God. God made the world to display His glory. And sin is about finding joy in something other than God. Sin, therefore, arouses God's jealousy and His wrath. Sin brings God's judgment. God examined sin and He decreed that it is not worthy of existing in His good creation. Good is found in God alone. Sin looks for good elsewhere. God determined that the, the just penalty then for sin is death. Sin deserves death because God deserves worship. And because God is good and He loves us, He hates sin which separates us from Him. God knows that He Himself is our greatest good. And so death came into the world through sin, and sin came into the world through Satan. And sin spread really to all men. The sin of our representative Adam corrupted our race because spiritually dead people produce spiritually dead offspring. And immediately after sin came into the world, we see the effects of it when Cain murdered his brother Abel. Psychologists today tell us that man is basically good, that, that, that the evil in the world is a product of his environment, but 
the the evidence points otherwise the evidence tells us that the world is evil because men are born sinners how else did the the sin of the world that we see around us how else could we explain it except that men are born as sinful people david said behold i was brought forth in iniquity psalm 51 verse 5 he realized that he was born with a sinful heart that we are all sinners by nature and by choice. We know from, from just the, the very instincts of, of who we are when we come into this world, we know that God exists. We know right from wrong, and yet we choose evil. We don't glorify God. Instead, we look for our own interests. We live for ourselves. Romans chapter 1 tells us that we are not thankful. We are not grateful. We do not honor God. Instead, we worship the creature rather than the creator. Sin corrupts our entire being. It, our, our minds are corrupted. Our desires are corrupted. Our affections, what we love, is corrupted as we come into this world. Romans 3 and verse 10 says, there, there is none righteous, no, not one. Our sinful nature produces sin in our thoughts, in our words, and in our actions. Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death. Ezekiel 18 verse 4 says, Behold, all souls are mine. The Lord is speaking here. All souls are mine. The soul of the Father as well as the soul of the Son. The soul who sins shall die. Again, the righteous judgment against sin is death. Hebrews 9.27 says, And just as it is appointed for man to die once, after that comes judgment. It is appointed for man to die. Each and every one of us are going to die. And after that comes judgment. Death is judgment for sin. And it is the entrance to a further and a fuller judgment. In Revelation chapter 20, we see the great white throne. And before that great white throne, the dead are judged. They are judged according to their works and they are cast into the lake of fire. And that is called the second death. We see then spiritual death, physical death, and eternal death. Three deaths that face mankind, physical, spiritual, and eternal death. Friends, that same Jesus who once said, Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. That same Jesus will one day say, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Death, physical, spiritual, and eternal, is a terrible reality for all of us. It's a serious problem. Even if our sins could be forgiven, death itself must be overcome. Of course, our sins can be forgiven, but what I want you to see here, what I want you to face is the problem of death. All these deaths must be conquered if we're to live. First, our spiritual death must be vanquished. Our blindness, our hard-heartedness, our hostility to God must be broken. Without this, we would never turn from sin to God. We would never repent without God first opening our hearts to the gospel. God must give us a new heart in regeneration and call us to Himself. Second, 
Eternal death must be overcome. Eternal death is God's judgment for sin. On Friday, we celebrated how God vanquished eternal death in the atonement of Jesus Christ. Jesus took upon Himself the righteous wrath of God. He died as our substitute. He died for us. He died in our place. And those who have been raised with Christ from spiritual death will never have to pay the penalty for their sins because Christ paid that penalty in full. Eternal death was conquered at the cross. But still there is physical death. Each one of us must walk through this valley unless we're alive when Christ returns. And all of these deaths are deadly. The, the cords of a single one of these deaths would have hold, could, could have held the strongest man. We're all like Samson with our head shaved before one of these deaths. If death were the end, that would be bad enough. But after death comes judgment, eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. The blackness of darkness forever, the infinite indignation of a holy and righteous God with a perfect hatred for sin. Sin that we committed. And add to that the fact that in our spiritually dead estate, we can do nothing to deliver ourselves. Death should make us tremble. Hebrews 2 and verse 14 says the devil has the power of death. Now we understand that God is sovereign over death, but the devil has the power of death in the sense that sin came into the world through temptation and death came through sin. Hebrews 2.15 says that through the fear of death, we were subject to slavery all of our lives. Our entire life can be seen as a, a slavery of waiting for the day of death. The fear of that death keeps us in bondage. In 1 Corinthians 15 and verses 55 and 56, death is pictured as a scorpion, as a venomous insect or a poisonous animal with a stinger. Death is pictured as an enemy seeking victory over God's people. Sin is death's venomous stinger as death tries to conquer and bring us under its power. A few verses earlier, death is called the last enemy. In Romans 5, 14 and 17, it says that death reigns. Death is like a, a ruler over humanity. It reigns over us. And I said all that to say this, that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the first and the last, the beginning and the end, the Son of God has conquered death. He has conquered death and put an end to its reign. He has conquered death and removed its stinger. He has overcome the devil and removed his power. I want you to turn with me this morning to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. And in verse 12, John writes about his vision of the risen Lord. Revelation chapter 1, starting at verse 12, John says, Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And His voice was like the roar of many waters. 
In his right hand he held seven stars, and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades." Jesus was dead, but behold, He is alive forevermore. Jesus' resurrection is described as the the first fruits. He was the the first and prototypical resurrection. He is the firstborn from the dead, Colossians 1.18. He is the forerunner who died and rose again on our behalf. The resurrection of Jesus destroyed the works of the devil, swallowed up, the power of death forever and opened the way to everlasting life. The resurrection of Jesus proves that He was the Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. The resurrection proves that God accepted Jesus' sacrifice for our sins so that our sins are forgiven and His righteousness is ours. The resurrection proves that death is defeated, that Satan is vanquished, and that even our spiritual blindness is no match for the life-giving power of Jesus Christ. The historical reality of the resurrection is central to our faith. If Jesus did not overcome death, then death still reigns and we are still in our sins. But Christ has been raised and His resurrection means that, that not only does He live forevermore, but we too, we will live forever with Him. Now that was uh, the introduction. We're just, we're just getting going here this morning. But what I want to do now with the rest of our time together is I want to take you on a kind of a tour of the resurrection through Scripture. We, we've seen that the death was our enemy. Let's see how Jesus Christ overcomes that death. And so I want to just kind of take you through Scripture and look at the resurrection. Let's look at the glorious triumph of our Savior. And I want to show you some of the predictions of the resurrection in the Old Testament. Then I want to take you to the preaching on the resurrection and how Jesus and the apostles proclaimed that He was risen. And then I want to show you the the power of the resurrection in our own lives. And so we're going to look at the the death of death predicted. That's going to be our first point predicted in the Old Testament. The death of death proclaimed. And then the death of death portrayed. And what I mean by portrayed is that the the resurrection is, is then shown in our lives as the resurrection of Jesus has implications for us. And so the, let's begin then, if you're taking notes this morning, number one, let's see the death of death predicted. The death of death predicted. Jesus knew from the very beginning that He would die and that He would rise again. From a very young age, he knew that he must be about his father's business. He knew that he would be lifted up on the cross as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. He came to do his father's will. He came to give his life a ransom for many. But he also knew that death would not be the end. He knew that death could not contain him. And when his disciples were ready to bear it, he began to teach them that he would die and be raised to life the third day. 
And I just want to trace that through the, the Gospel of Matthew here with you. And so if you want, you could flip with me in your Bible. We're going to be looking at a number of Scriptures this morning, and you, you might not want to flip with me, but let's just see how Jesus begins to teach His disciples that He would die, but also that He would be raised. Matthew 16, verse 21 says, From that time... Jesus began to show His disciples that He must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Matthew 17 and verse 9 says, As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. Verse 22 of Matthew 17, As they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill Him, and He will be raised on the third day. And they were greatly distressed. Matthew chapter 20 and verse 17, And as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, He took the twelve disciples aside, and on the way He said to them, See, We are going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes and they will condemn Him to death and deliver Him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified and He will be raised on the third day. Matthew chapter 26 and verses 31 and 32, Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of Me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And so Jesus knew about his crucifixion and resurrection because as God, he knew all things. Jesus planned the entire plan of salvation with the Father and the Holy Spirit before the foundation of the world. In Ephesians 3.11, it talks about how uh, the, the church was manifested according to the eternal purpose which he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. Second Timothy 1.9 talks about God who saved us and called us with a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace. God's salvation was according to his own purpose and grace, listen to this, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began and which have now been manifested through the appearing of our savior jesus christ who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel because salvation was planned before the ages began before the foundation of the world ephesians 1 4 god revealed the death and resurrection of christ before it happened in time And the Old Testament predicts that the Messiah would not only suffer, but also that He would rise from the dead and live forever. Jesus talks about this in in Luke chapter 24. And actually, we even saw that there with the the angels who appear to the women. Uh, They found the stone rolled away. Luke chapter 24, verse 2. They found the stone rolled away, but when they... They went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee. 
that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered His words. Jesus had told them about the resurrection before it happened. A few verses later, Matthew 24 and verse 25, He said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into His glory? And beginning with Moses and the prophets, He interpreted to them all in all the Scriptures the things concerning Himself. Luke 24 and verse 44, then, then He said to them, These are My words that I spoke with you while I was still with you, that everything written about Me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then He opened their minds to understand the Scriptures and He said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in His name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. And so Jesus told His disciples multiple times that He would rise. He knew it because the Scriptures revealed it. And I just want to take you to a a couple of these Scriptures in the Old Testament that predict the resurrection. We've been studying Matthew and we've seen as we've looked at Matthew that repeatedly in the Old Testament, it it speaks about a a future son of David, the Messiah who would sit on the throne of David and that he would rule forever over the world. And the fact that the Messiah's reign would be forever implies that there must have been a resurrection. That there must have been a, a way that this man who sits on the throne of David would live forever. In Acts chapter 2, Peter quotes Psalm 16. And he's talking about the resurrection there. Listen to, to this. We'll just stay in Acts here. But Acts chapter 2, verse 24. This is Peter's sermon. He says, God raised him up loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, and now he's going to quote Psalm 16, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption." You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make make me full of gladness with your presence. And then Peter continues his sermon. He says, brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that He was not abandoned to Hades, nor did His flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Another great place to see the suffering, death, and resurrection of the Lord is in Isaiah chapter 52 and 53. And so you could turn there with me. Psalm 16, as as. Peter explained, predicted the resurrection. So does Isaiah 53, which mostly focuses on the suffering and the death of the Messiah, the servant of the Lord, but also speaks of His resurrection. We'll just pick it up in verse 7. Isaiah 53, verse 7 says, He was oppressed and He was afflicted, 
Yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? Jesus here was cut off from the land of the living. This was for the the transgression of my people or the transgression of His people, the Lord's people. And then in verse 9, they made His grave with the wicked and with the rich man in His death, although He had done no violence and there was no deceit in His mouth. Jesus was cut off from the land of the living and He was put in the grave. Of course, the, the rich referring ultimately to Joseph of Arimathea who had buried him and, and the fact that he had done no violence and no deceit was in his mouth proclaims the, the sinlessness of Jesus Christ. But he died. He was cut off. He was oppressed and afflicted and they buried him in a grave. But look at verse 10 though. It says there, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He was put, he has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many accounted or to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. In the first half of verse 10 there, it continues talking about his death. He was crushed. He was put to grief. His soul or he himself was made an offering for sin. Offerings for sin died. They're killed. But then we have the language there of the resurrection in the second part of verse 10. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord would prosper in his hand. How could that be if he was dead? It says in verse 11, out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. And this seems to be saying that he will be alive to see the results of his sacrifice. Jesus would be resurrected and satisfied with the results of his substitutionary death. This section was written about 700 years before Christ came to earth. And because the Messiah would conquer death and be resurrected, the Old Testament spoke about the resurrection of all of God's people. Jesus taught the the Sadducees about what the Old Testament said on the resurrection in Matthew chapter 22. And and you could go there if you wanted, Matthew 22. We're going to return back to Isaiah in a little bit here, but Matthew 22 Verse 31, the Sadducees, of course, didn't believe in a resurrection and they give this uh, hypothetical story of a a situation trying to prove uh, before Jesus that there was no resurrection. And verse 20, in verse 31 of Matthew 22, he says, and as for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was said to you by God? I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not God of the dead but of the living. The argument here seems to be best viewed is is that when when God calls himself the God of Abraham 
to Isaac. When God comes to Isaac and introduces himself as the God of Abraham, or when God comes to Abraham and Isaac, or, or when God calls himself the God of Abraham and Isaac to Jacob, or the God of all three to Moses at the burning bush. This passage that Jesus quotes from here is from Exodus 3 and verse 6 at the burning bush. And God introduces himself to Moses as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. The best way to understand this passage, I believe, is to see that when God introduces himself as the God of somebody, He's saying that he's the God who entered into covenant with that person, that he's the one who made promises to that person and that he would yet fulfill his promises to them. And so when God says to Isaac, I'm the God of your father Abraham, the idea is that he's the God who promised Abraham what he promised him and that Abraham would yet enjoy those blessings. That he would do that then by a resurrection of that patriarch on a future day. For Moses at the burning bush, this would have, would have encouraged him that God, that what God had promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob would yet be fulfilled and that God's plan wasn't done. And so Moses is now encouraged to go forward to deliver the people from Egypt. And so Jesus uses this passage to prove that there would be a resurrection from the dead of all of God's people. Another place in the Old Testament where we could see the the resurrection is in Isaiah chapter 25. And this is the the great eschatological banquet of a future day. And the, the Lord says, Isaiah 25, On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all people. And what is that covering? The, the veil that is spread over all nations. Verse 8, he will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. Just one chapter later speaking, I believe of the same time, In Isaiah 26, verse 19, it says, Your dead shall live. Their bodies shall rise. You who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy. Daniel also talks about the resurrection of all of God's people again. This is because of the resurrection of the Messiah and through the resurrection of the first fruits, we see another resurrection. And so Daniel chapter 12 and verse 1 Starting a little bit into that verse, it says, And there shall be a time of trouble, such as has never been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. And so the resurrection was clearly predicted in the Old Testament. Not only the resurrection of the Messiah, but also the resurrection of all of God's people, our resurrection. Now it's one thing to to go ahead and predict a resurrection. It's another thing to actually rise from the dead. And so let's look then at the death of death proclaimed. 
We saw the death of death predicted. Number two now in our outline, the death of death proclaimed. Jesus and the apostles predicted the resurrection and it happened exactly like they said. The Gospels and the the preaching of the apostles emphatically declare that Jesus rose from the grave. Jesus overcame death and rose to life. In John chapter 10 and verse 17, it says, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay down, I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up. This charge I have received from my Father. Jesus had the authority to lay down his life when he wanted and he had the authority, the power to take it up again. He could raise himself from the dead. And to foreshadow his own resurrection, he rose Lazarus from the dead in John chapter 11. John 11 and verse, beginning at verse 21. Jesus says, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, he will, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Skip down to verse 38 then. It says, Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. The same way that Lazarus was resurrected from the dead, Jesus as well rose from the dead in a similar fashion. And we too, as God's people, will be resurrected from the dead on the last day. In Luke chapter 24, we saw that the angels told the the women that Christ had risen and after rising from the dead, Jesus appeared to his disciples over a period of 40 days. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 3, it says that he presented himself alive to, to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. In verse 9, it says, when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And so Jesus is alive and he ascended 
into heaven. After his resurrection, Jesus spoke to his disciples. He taught them. He ate with them. He let them touch his hands and his feet. Thomas even put his finger in Jesus' side. They doubted the resurrection at first, but they came to see that Jesus was alive. They became convinced that the Scriptures were true and that Jesus was truly alive. And then the risen Lord sent His people to proclaim the message of the forgiveness of sins, of that death had been conquered and that He had risen from the grave. Again, Luke 24.44, Jesus says, These are My words that I spoke to you while I was still alive with you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in His name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. The four Gospels all end with the resurrection and a commission to take the message to the world. The message that the apostles took to the world was that Jesus paid the penalty for sin, that He was buried, and that He rose from the dead. In 1 Corinthians Chapter 15, Paul says, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which also, by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word that I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then He appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, He appeared also to me." The disciples, not long after their Master was crucified, boldly proclaimed the good news. They had run away and denied Him at the crucifixion, but the knowledge that He rose from the dead emboldened them to preach the good news without fear. Jesus' resurrection gave them assurance that nothing could stop Jesus from building His church. Not even death itself can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus, Romans 8.39. And so they proclaimed the resurrection. And I just want to read to you the sermons of the resurrection. And notice in these sermons through the book of Acts, notice the, the, the message of the resurrection of Christ, how central that was to the preaching of the apostles. Let's start with sermons Peter Uh, Peter's sermon in in Acts chapter 2. He says, Men of Israel, I'm in verse uh, 22 here, Acts 2.22, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through Him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised Him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for Him to be held by it. 
For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for it is, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad, my tongue rejoiced, my flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the brethren, uh, the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to Himself. And with many other words He bore witness and continued to exhort them, exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation." In chapter 3 and verse 12, when Peter saw it, it says he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he decided to release him. But you denied the Holy and Righteous One and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses, and His name, by faith in His name, He has made this man strong whom you see and know, and the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers, but what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. In verse 26, you could skip down to there. It says, he continues, God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. In Acts chapter 4, as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. Skip to verse 8 there. Then Peter 
now released, was then filled with the Holy Spirit, and he said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Verse 33, And with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. In Acts chapter 5 and verse 27, When they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charge you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. And Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree, God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit to whom God has given, whom God has given to those who obey him. The apostles message was that Jesus rose from the dead and that through faith in him, sin could be forgiven. In Acts chapter 10 and verse 38, we see an, another sermon in, and Peter's preaching, I believe he says, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Again in Acts chapter 13, starting at verse 29, And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb, but God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news of what God promised to the fathers, that this he has fulfilled to us by the, to, to us their children by raising Jesus as also it is written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he says in another psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption, but he whom God raised up did not see corruption. 
Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. Jesus Christ is the only one who rose from the dead. Therefore, He is the only way of salvation. I want to warn you, as Paul warned his hearers at the end here, look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. And so beware of scoffing at the resurrection. If you do not believe in the resurrection, you will perish. In Acts 17 and verse 38, some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers were conversing with Paul. And and some of them said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. In verse 30, Paul then calls these people to repentance. He says, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed And of this He has given assurance to all by raising Him from the dead. And now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, we will hear you again about this. And so Paul went out from their midst. The resurrection is proof that God commands all people everywhere to repent. The resurrection is proof that judgment is coming, that Jesus is alive, and when He returns, it will be for judgment. The resurrection was predicted in the Old Testament. It was proclaimed by the eyewitnesses in the New Testament. And finally, I want to show its impact on us who believe. We've already seen how the resurrection of Christ emboldened the apostles and motivated them to carry the message throughout the world. But it does even more than that. The New Testament teaches that believers are united to Christ, that our our union with Christ means that we are united with Him in both His death and His resurrection, that we died with Him and that we were raised with Him. And His death means the death of our sin and that His resurrection means that He lives in us. The the death of death proclaimed is what we're going to call this, the, the death of death, or sorry, portrayed, the death of death portrayed as the, the resurrection life of Christ empowers us. And to see this first, I, I want you to turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. The death of death portrayed. 1 Peter chapter 1. Through us, the power of Jesus' resurrection is manifested to the world. The living Christ lives in us because we're united to Him. And if you are a Christian, the resurrection of Christ has changed your life. And I want to show you, again, from a number of passages, I want to show this this impact that the resurrection has in us. But starting in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3, Peter says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, 
to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Typical of, of Peter's style here, he, he packs so much into this little section. Peter is, is praising God. He says, blessed be God. And why is he praising God? Well, it's because he has caused us to be born again. The new birth was an act of God's great mercy. This new birth, according to God's great mercy, brings us into a living hope. And why is this hope a living hope? Well, it seems to be because uh, Jesus Christ is living it, because this hope comes to us through the new birth, and that new birth comes to us through the resurrection of Jesus Christ to the dead. And because Christ is alive, our hope is a living hope. Our regeneration comes, it says, through Jesus' resurrection. And so there's a connection between regeneration, being born again, and between Jesus' resurrection. That's why our inheritance in verse 4 is imperishable, it's unfading, it can never die, it can never fade, it can never become defiled, because Jesus rose never to die again. And so Peter connects the new birth with the resurrection. Through the resurrection, we are born again. And you might wonder how this works. How how does that work, that through the resurrection we're born again? Well, the reason for this connection is that when God saves us, we are joined to Jesus Christ. We are united to Him in His death and resurrection. And to kind of explain this a little bit more, I want you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Now we, we looked at this a little bit in November when I was here, but I want to go back to this section. And Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1 reminds the Ephesians of what they were before they were saved. It says, you were dead in the trespasses and sins. You were dead in trespasses and sins. This applies to every person. There there was a time before salvation when we were dead. Ephesians 2 and verse 4 says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And so, we were dead, but God made us alive. You see the the resurrection there? There was a, a deadness in us but now we were made alive. You were dead, but God made you alive with Christ. Verse 6 says that we were raised with Christ and seated with Him in the heavenly places. To be saved by grace, remember it says there, by grace you have been saved. To be saved by grace means that you've been made alive from spiritual death with Christ. This work of God is so powerful that before Paul taught about it in chapter 2, he prayed for the Ephesians that they would understand it in chapter 1. And so just flip back to chapter 1 and verse 18. Paul's prayer there really starts in verse 15, but in the second part of verse 18, he tells us what he's praying for. And he says, chapter 1, Ephesians 1.18, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of His great might. And so there's three things that Paul is praying for them that they would know. Number one, the hope to which God called them. 
Number two, the riches of God's glorious inheritance in the saints. And then thirdly, he's praying that they would know the immeasurable greatness of God's power towards us who believe. And Paul then expands now on this third one, the immeasurable greatness of of God's power toward us who believe. God's power toward us who believe is, it's His power, it's God's power. And this power is according to the working of His great might. And the power then corresponds to the working of God's great might. The power here that is described, it says, is immeasurable. It's called greatness of power. I don't know if you're picking this up, but as you look at this section, there's a lot of words here that speak to power. There's working and might and power and greatness and and immeasurable power. And again, this power, according to this verse, is directed towards us who believe. And so we ask, what is this immeasurable greatness of power that corresponds with the working of God's great might? In verse 20, the power is compared to the power that God worked when He raised Christ from the dead. Again, what is this power towards us? It's that God took us who were spiritually dead in our trespasses and sins and He made us alive together with Christ. This is a a spiritual resurrection. We are made alive with Christ. And this amazing power of God that raised us from spiritual death continues to work all through our earthly pilgrimage. It continues to work in our lives. And so our spiritual death is overcome through Christ's resurrection. Our spiritual death is overcome through Christ's resurrection. Also then, our eternal death is overcome through Christ's resurrection. If you have been joined to Christ in the new birth, if you've been made alive with Him, then your sins have been forgiven. Uh, your, Your sins have been credited to Christ and His righteousness is counted as yours. And to see this, I want you to go with me to Romans chapter 4. And as we're kind of bringing this thing to a close, we're, we're seeing that all of our deaths have been conquered through Christ's resurrection. Spiritual, physical, and eternal death are all overcome through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you've been joined to Christ in the new birth, you are, you are united with Him and your sins are forgiven. Romans Chapter 4, Paul here is arguing that Abraham was justified, that that is, he was declared righteous by faith. In verse 3, Paul quotes from Genesis 15, verse 6, which says that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. This blessing of being credited as righteous isn't something that we can earn. This blessing is granted by faith alone, verse 4. Now to the one who... To the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. David also spoke about this blessing in verse, in Psalm 42, um, verse 6 here. <clears throat> I believe it's actually Psalm 32. <clears throat> uh, verse, 6 of of Romans 4, just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. And how does God forgive our sins and count us as righteous? He does so through our union with Christ. 
When Christ died, God thought of us as joined to Him so that He paid the price for our sin. And if we are in Christ, His righteousness is counted as ours. Verse 22, that it says, that is why His faith, that is Abraham's faith, was counted to Him as righteousness. But the words, it was counted to Him, were not written for His sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in Him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord and who who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. This union is similar to a marriage union. You know, imagine if a rich man married a woman with a large debt. Her debt would become his and his riches would become hers through the the marriage union. And in the same way, Christ's riches have become ours through our union with Him. And our sins have become His. In verse 25 as that we just read, Jesus was delivered up for our transgressions. He died for our sins. And then He was raised for our justification. We know that we are counted righteous in Christ because He was raised from the dead. Verse 1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Having been justified, Romans 5.1, by faith we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake He made Him who knew no sin to be sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. And what this means for us is that we will never have to pay the penalty for our sins. Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. In Christ Jesus we have eternal life. And so if our spiritual death has been overcome through Christ, and if our eternal death has been dealt with through Jesus Christ, what that means for us is that our also our physical death will be overcome. <clears throat> Romans 8 verse 11 says, <clears throat> If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 20 says, "In, In fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all shall be made alive. Verse 53 says, For this perishable perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, Where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul had said in verse 32 that if the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. But the dead are raised because Christ has been raised. Therefore, we too will be raised from physical death. And how should we respond? 1 Corinthians 15.58 says, Therefore, because we are going to be raised to life, therefore, my beloved brother, as Paul says, be steadfast, immovable, 
always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Our work in the Lord will not be in vain because we will be resurrected from the dead. And so Jesus Christ, our Savior, has overcome for us our our physical death, eternal death, and spiritual death. Death has been vanquished. And so Paul says in 2 Timothy 1.8, just to close, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, His prisoner, but share in suffering for the Gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of His own purpose and grace, which He gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the Gospel. That is the Gospel that we believe in. The Gospel through which death has been conquered, life has been brought about, and more immortality has been brought about through our Lord Jesus Christ, through our Savior. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that death has been overcome. First, that You have overcome our spiritual death through Jesus Christ, that You have opened our eyes and saved us and brought us to Yourself. Thank You for overcoming eternal death, for paying the penalty for our sins through the resurrection of Christ. And we look forward to that day that though we die, we will not die because we will be raised to life again, physically resurrected, just as our Lord Jesus was. We look forward to that day, Father. Until then, help us to be always abounding in the work of the Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.